Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. This is Chuck Curry alongside my co-host, Kenny B. Filling in once again for Mike Rags. This is Movie Maniacs, our weekly podcast radio show where we talk everything and anything about the world of motion pitches and also television. Uh, Ken, uh, always a pleasure. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Hey, did that Mike Rags win the uh, lottery? Is that why he's gone? Did he go from rags to riches? Maybe. You know, actually, in my town, yes, I was reading. And by the way, before we proceed, we can be heard on WOWO, W-O-W-O, out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, every Saturday night at midnight. And also, Ken. And Cool 98.5 WXPM out of Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Actually, I was reading in my local town on uh, Main Street in Strasburg, Pennsylvania, somebody hit a $600,000 lotto win in a smoke shop. Uh, That would alter one's life, although you know uh, accounting pretty well. How much tax would come out of $600,000? Well, uh, um, you, you got to figure that they're, they're getting close to the uh, to the maximum uh, tax rate at that, but say say an average of 28 federal and then a state here in Pennsylvania and uh, everything else, so you're, you're talking about, you're giving up over a third of it. Okay, that probably would afford to be able to afford to pay uh, an NFL quarterback in today's uh, insane market. But we're not here to talk about football. We're here to talk about the world of uh, motion pictures and television. Interesting week indeed uh, coming up. Well, we got the Oscar telecast this uh, Sunday night, once again, hosted by uh, Jimmy Kimmel on ABC. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Also, our main topic uh, in the second half of this program, we always do a top ten list, which is a lot of fun. I thought to coincide with the release of Scream 6, this weekend, the sixth installment of that long-running, now long-running horror franchise, we would talk about some of our favorite sequels and that are at least a third installment or better in a franchise. So no original first sequel has to be a second sequel on, so uh, a title that is part three or part four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. I got a pretty good list. I had a fun time doing it, so we'll get that uh, to later in the second half of the program. I guess we'll start off with the box office totals this week, and I got a chance to see Creed 3 in a uh, theater. Creed 3 was the number one movie over the weekend. Uh, the Michael B. Jordan directed uh, franchise from the uh, Rocky Cannon did very well. $58 million opening weekend. Blew past expectations, which was a movie that was tracking at around 38 to $40 million. A lot of people wound up seeing Creed 3 making it, Ken. The highest-grossing film in the Creed or even the Rocky franchise. I wonder how Sylvester Stallone feels about that. He is nowhere to be found in Creed Three. Actually, his name is his. The name of Rocky is referenced one time in Creed Three, and that was a past tense phrase. Sort of uh, interesting, indeed. But for the movie itself, I gotta say, I thought this was a very well-made movie with a. Uh, a, a uh, a compelling storyline where uh, Jonathan Majors, who's hot off his uh, villainous turn in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, plays childhood friend of Adonis Creed, who has served an 18-year jail sentence, just gets out of jail, and uh, ultimately winds up fighting for the heavyweight championship of the uh, world. 
I do think one issue I had with this movie before I get to the positives, it does take, I think, a liberty in some quick storytelling at times to get to point A to Z, which is the main fight at the end. Some of that arc, uh, how it was done, I didn't find overly believable, but I, I suspended my disbelief and I went along for the ride. It is what it is. Uh, and I got to tell you, overall, the, the direction was good. It's definitely a little bit of a darker installment than the last two, which is something Sylvester Stallone pointed out uh, would uh, would happen in this fran- franchise. I thought uh, Michael B. Jordan's performance was good. I thought Jonathan Majors was extremely uh, compelling. I actually thought he was a lot better in this film overall uh, as a screen presence than he was in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. But he was a good villain, very complex. Uh, not, a, not a complete villain at all, because there's parts of him that you certainly can relate to and you do like and then you don't like him uh so he can he could flip on a dime his personality so that's why i thought it was a good character and i just want to point out tessa thompson who plays uh adonis's wife michael b jordan's wife in this film uh kudos to her i think she's a fantastic actress she has a lot of levity to the proceedings she's done a great job in this franchise and i mean a great job uh she's a good good solid Actress. I give the movie a, a seven point. I give it a seven point nine uh, out of uh, ten. I thought this is a good, solid effort, despite that logical leap in some storytelling. But overall, it's well directed. It's compelling. Uh, the characterization in this movie is very good. It takes its time on a lot of scenes, which is good. It only runs, uh, I think, uh, a little less, a couple minutes less than two hours, so it moves pretty good. So overall. I like Creed 3. I think it's going to have legs at the box office. $50 million total is a very solid uh, opening number here, Ken. Yeah, I, I, I bet Stallone would look at the $58 million total and say, yeah, but that would have been like Rocky getting $20 million, uh, in its opening. And, uh, you know. I, I, yeah, no, it's all, it's all relative. But in terms of, you just look at it logically from the Creed franchise, 1, 2, and 3, uh, this is proof, though. I mean, I love Stallone. I love Rocky. I want to see Rocky part of his franchise, but it it shows that they they have broken off uh, from from Rocky now in this franchise, and they want to make it their own. Whether you agree with the politics, how we got to this point behind the scenes with producer own Winkler, so on and so forth. Even you know Michael B. Jordan going head first into this franchise without uh, Stallone. How they got there? Yeah, behind the scenes, certainly interesting. But uh, this does set up for more Creed films in the, uh, in, in the, uh, in the future. So yeah, I think we'll you almost have to, though, because, you know, at this point, hasn't Rocky become unnecessary? What's the question? Hasn't Rocky become unnecessary at this point in the movie? Yeah, um, you could argue that fact. I mean, do they need him? Probably not. I mean, I think, you know, I think most people who watch this film, you know, you might say to yourself, once his name is mentioned at one time, you might think of him. But ultimately, um, you know, they don't mention anything about, like, they don't say, is, is Rocky alive? Is Rocky not alive? Uh, he, I'm assuming he's out there in that universe somewhere. Uh, but they don't mention him, and, and, it, and it works It works actually very fine. So uh, to answer your question, uh, yeah, quite possibly. It, he's not necessary in this, uh, in, in, in this film. You know, some overall uh, other box office, Ant-Man, 
Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp Quantumania, 12 million, dropping off another 59% week to week, and week number three, 187 million domestically to date. Uh, that box office numbers is, is certainly a little bit of a disappointment for Marvel. I think creatively, this film is a mess. I think most people realize that, but uh, I think Marvel overall uh, will will survive. It's not terrible. It is watchable, but it's not up to par what it should be. Cocaine Bear, number, weekend number two, 11 million, 52% drop off. That's a decent hole, 41 million, Ken, in two weeks of release, this movie called Demon Slayer. I think it's a Japanese anime movie, 10 million. And Jesus Revolution, this is a good story here. Jesus Revolution, another 8.5 in weekend number two. 30 million in, in uh, 10 days of release. This is a Christian-based film. Uh, there is a market for these movies. This one's performing very, very well. Kelsey Grammer uh, is one of the stars in this in this uh, movie. You have any thoughts on the Christian-based uh, m- movies in the, in the marketplace here? I, you know, I, I don't, I don't see it as a really sustainable genre. But hey, you know, you put out something during Lent. Depends on the budget. I you guess. put, you put out something during Lent, and you know, maybe people feel like they can go without uh, feeling guilty. I don't know, but uh, you know, the religious movies as a whole, I'm not, I'm just not yeah. a big fan. I got you. I mean, listen, I think, I think if if you watch a lot of them, they, they they're uh, some of them, are, uh, some of them are very uh, watchable entertainment. Some are somewhat misfires but this for whatever reason is caught on the 30 million in 10 days is a really good number for this um, movie uh now this weekend in theaters we got the release of scream six which is blowing past its tracking now tracking around a 50 million dollar opening weekend which would make it the uh, highest grossing film in the scream franchise which goes back to the uh early 90s when wes craven created uh, ghostface and this very effective, entertaining franchise is now stabilized for decades. Uh, good reviews, as we speak, 81% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. If that holds, that would be the best-reviewed screen movie ever, even better than the original. That seems hard to believe. I mean, the original is, is you know, it's an iconic horror film that really launched uh, a very profitable franchise, but... Scream 6 tracking at a $50 million opening weekend. Some other news in terms of tracking and, and re, uh, reaction uh, from test uh, or, or preview screenings. Uh, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which comes out next week. Uh, the, the embargo, at least on Twitter, was released, and the reaction is pretty positive. A lot of people say they dug the film. Uh, that one's... I think it's like tracking like 50 million, which for a superhero movie is, is you know, it really needs to be a little bit better. Uh, but the fact that it's getting good reviews is, is a good sign for DC. Um, I think it needs, beside the family audience, Shazam, I think it needs more hardcore DC fans, the Batman fans, to show up to uh, this film to make it a, a really solid hit. But, but still, good reviews. And also, John Wick 4, which comes out in a, in a few weeks, uh, the reaction on Twitter uh, is is outstanding. People are saying it's the best of the franchise, incredible action. This has reinvented it and reinvigorated the career of Keanu Reeves, who has now really become an iconic uh, entity overall in uh, Hollywood. He's, his career now spans over uh, well over 30 years. He's had ups and downs, but he's had some massive massive hits and this John Wick franchise is a very successful franchise and again here reviews uh, weeks before it comes out are coming out to be excellent uh, that's good news Ken 
for the industry because if you look at the whole in the last few months and what's going forward overall, I think the ball is starting to roll down hill and movies are really opening now they're opening whether it's sustainable uh as a whole and there's enough product overall in the marketplace to sustain a 15 screen multiplex i I still think we are a tweak short but overall people are starting to go back to the movies with really no mention of the word uh covid thoughts on that well you know now that we're just about ready to end the all the uh, the federal emergency i think california ended their emergency uh, we very seldom hear of COVID cases anymore. It's it's become like any other illness, and so I, I I don't think people are being held back by COVID right now. The thing that you know we still have to overcome is is product and uh, yeah. product that will appeal to a a wider uh, audience than just the people that go to see all of these Marvel movies and everything else, and so. You know, it is. It's, it's still when I look at the projections for sales for some of the companies that own the the cinemas, we're still expecting to be below 2019 in 23 and 24. AMC is still projecting a loss for 23 and 24, and so I still think we're in a situation where the headline movies are doing well and. We just don't have anything beneath them that makes the person like me, who doesn't have a single, you know, doesn't see any of the uh, Marvel movies and doesn't get excited by the superheroes. You have to have a reason to to go to the movies. And I get it. Right, Creed Three's not going to do it. Uh, John Wick might, uh, but you know, I want to see. I still want to see some nice comedies coming to the theater rather than having to watch them always. On Netflix or Amazon, I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, I think it's time to wake up for Hollywood and the studios to really start getting into some diverse vacation. You're, you're right. I mean, whereas whereas a movie like uh, you know romantic comedies like Notting Hill and Pretty Woman, uh, I was saying to a buddy last night when I was driving home in in the, in the car, uh, I, I, the a goofy comedies came up and I said, you know, I, I just off the top of my mind, I said, if a movie like Something About Mary was produced and came out uh, in 2023, would it, would it would it really make it much of a dent at the box office? I mean, people are preconditioned not to see movies like that because they're not producing them. And, and you know, you bring up the, the, the point of product in the pipeline, yes. But the conditioning, the question is, will people be reconditioned to stop just streaming stuff over the last uh, couple of years during the COVID nightmare and actually say, hey, you know, it's Friday, Saturday night. Let's go out. Let's do something different. The weather's going to get nicer. Uh, let's see a lot of, let's us go in the movies, get in the car, going out to dinner, going to a movie before or after like, like uh, we did for decades. Uh, it, it really does come down to uh, we all creatures of habit uh, and, and if we're steered uh, against our will. I mean, basically, because that's what studios did to, to, to lure people to, to basically get addicted to streaming and not go to the movies. Uh, I think the trend is starting to tweak, but that wheel turning takes more than a year. And we, we know that. We, we, we have said that. This one other point, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which I think is the sixth installment in the Mission Impossible franchise, uh, had a test screening 
and uh, evidently it tested through the roof. I mean, people were raving after that test screening how much they loved this film. I'm not surprised because Tom Cruise uh, and, and, and the stunt work involved in this stuff is just escalated to the highest of levels. That comes out July 14th. So again, it's a non, it's a big tempo popcorn movie, but it's a non-superhero movie, and that is a good thing. But you know, just off the top of my my head, you know, mentioned movies like Notting Hill, Julia Robinson, you know, movies like that's the type of thing we they need to make. But even simple, simple, simplistic, pumped-up B movies. Like you go back to the to the 80s and like, you remember the movie The Principal with Jim Belucci like that actually was a hit that was a big hit in theaters you know people used to go to movies they, they didn't need to see the the, uh, the the most high concept idea something simple stupid that fueled their adrenaline uh, they would they would go to you know um, I, I look at movies like Can't Buy Me Love with uh, Patrick Dempsey back in the, in the 1980s something just a simple you know, boy meets girl, uh, high school, quirky love story. You know, used to fill m- movie theaters. The industry needs to get back to that. Get confident about putting sub products beside popcorn product into uh, theaters, and I think uh, that will solve a lot of the uh, issues. Any final thoughts uh, on that? Yeah, I'm good. I, because I want I wanted to give you an example, and that is, yeah. I, I watched this week. I watched Ticket to Paradise. George Clooney, Julia Roberts, mm-hmm. 2022. Right. Uh, don't know if it was even in theaters. It, 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 it was, but it, uh, it, it, it bounced into uh, streaming extremely quickly. Yeah, can you imagine how big that movie would have been? And even, even at their ages, I mean, if that movie had been released in 2018, how big that movie would have been. But now it's a dud. It was it wasn't and it wasn't a bad movie to tell you the truth. I mean, it's all those movies are formula. You know how it's going to end, but they actually had some pretty good uh, uh, chemistry between them, and the some of the local scenes were were very funny. My problem, the other thing is that you know the thing that drives a lot of the romantic comedies that have driven a lot of the franchises was you if you saw Julia Roberts and yeah. Clooney or Julia Roberts and you know, we do want to do a remake of Pretty Woman or something like that. You went to the movie because you had these people that you saw as the comedy, the romantic comedy icons. You know, Sandra Bullock would be another example. Right. I don't think we've, I don't think we've really cultivated those. And you're right. Meg Ryan would be an example of that. You're, you're, you're right. There is no, there is no. Okay, there is. Listen, I've always said. There was in our in our gener- in my generation, your gener- there was only one Julia Roberts. It was hard to capture what she meant to moviegoers. She had a certain appeal. I mean, Meg Ryan had a, certainly had an appeal. I said when Rachel McAdams hit with the Notebook, she was going to be the next Julia Roberts. I don't know if she became the next Julia Roberts. She had a, she's had a good career, super appealing actress, but Julia Roberts is Julia Roberts, and I do agree, it, it wasn't, uh, even 20 years ago uh, and back, it wasn't about really concept, it was about the star, the concept, uh, it was like the horse was the star, the cart was the concept, and the horse always pulled the cart, now you got the cart pulling the horse, the star of the film is really interchangeable, it's the concept uh, that ultimately is what the studio is selling because they're spending so much money on uh, on high concept and effects uh, and, and, and 
CGI that these movies cost so much money, and they are nervous or apprehensive about pulling out their checkbook for a movie that is more uh, character-driven uh, and that is a little bit harder to market because without that star power that has been cultivated, and it does take cultivation, uh, you are correct. Um, they've gotten into a, uh, into a very strange world of what worked to what they want to work, and uh, we're still in, in, a, in, a, in a very interesting time in the entertainment industry, to say the least. Yeah, you know, you had a generation where, yeah, you could have had Rachel McAdams, Emma Stone, uh, and Bradley Cooper and people like that becoming the rom-com kings and queens, and we didn't do it. Yeah, and no, I, agree, I agree with that. And I, and I think uh, to some of those uh, talent, uh, and I speak of Tom Hanks also, uh, who, who's an older actor now, but uh, a lot of them took the money for the streaming stuff. They just took the mass, you know, they, Netflix was writing out 20, and, and Amazon and Apple were writing out $20 million paychecks uh, like it was like, like they had enough paper to last forever. And, and a lot of this young, young and old talent took that money uh, and really abandoned the model of, of movies that you go theatrically. And that, you know, ultimately has hurt the industry, but we, we'll see how this goes moving forward. I just want to bring up this to you, because uh, I know you like comedy. Chris Rock did a Netflix special that was live over the weekend. He was paid $20 million. Well, he's actually the dearly cut with Netflix. $40 million for two Netflix comedy specials. Uh, I looked up his net worth, and his net worth uh, was was nowhere near 40, 40 I don't know if it was worth $40 million, but this is a massive payday for Chris Rock. Now, it made a lot of, got a lot of buzz because one of the segments of the comedy show, he went after Will Smith and his wife Jada uh, pretty aggressively. People didn't know if he was going to bring that up, mention it, how he was going to go. You know, there's two roads. I just want to get your thoughts on this. There's two roads he would have went, could have went down. One, he could have took the higher road and tried to bury the hatchet with this thing. And the second road was to grab Will Smith by the throat. Uh, I think after w- watching some of this, uh, it certainly does not help Will Smith's career going forward. Uh, obviously, Chris Rock, it appears, uh, has gotten even with with Will Smith. But overall, I don't know, Ken, I, I think there's just a sadness to our culture for whatever reason. Uh, your, your thoughts on the special, his payday, and, uh, and Will Smith, the whole ball of wax? Well, first of all, as a professional comedian, I would have done the same thing that he did. Second Why? of all, uh, because it's it's great material. We will hey, we will we will criticize our mothers, our dead mothers, if it will get a laugh. That's okay. what that's what comedy is. Okay. Comedy comedy is making people feel uncomfortable. Second of all, I agree with that. Second of all, it, it shows that outside of Netflix, uh, how little money comedians actually make just doing comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I think that it's. I think that is actually the perfect use and venue for Netflix is the comedy special because you you just you, they don't you just can't all go see somebody in a comedy club comedy to me I mean I've seen it in big theaters comedy to me doesn't work in a theater that has more than a thousand people because it's not intimate enough uh, so it's 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 a great way to for comedians to make money and. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm, gl- I'm glad he did it. There's a uh, Netflix has had some very successful comedy specials lately. Uh, they've made a star out of Taylor Tomlinson. Uh, 
And uh, you, know, you bring somebody like Chris Rock in, I mean, it was a stroke of genius because you knew people were going to watch just to see what he was going to say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why they paid him the money. I mean, the t- again, they, they had, uh, you know, Netflix knew they had the perennial uh, stick uh, with gasoline poured on. They're just waiting for Chris Rock to throw the match, and uh, he, he, he did. I just wonder, you know, Will Smith has two major projects lined up going forward. That would be uh, the, the, uh, the fourth entry in the Bad Boys franchise and uh, I Am Legend 2, which will team with Michael B. Jordan. You just have to wonder if the studios financing those films have to be a bit apprehensive about spending big money on a Will Smith movie. I mean, obviously, post-slap, you wouldn't say that, but after that slap heard around the world, it's uh, it's a very different and interesting uh, animal. They were were probably sitting there watching the special saying, oh, thank you, Chris, for getting Will back in the news again because it's been all over social media and something that in, in entertainment, there is no such thing as bad press. Yeah, I'll take Kevin Spacey, maybe. Well, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, but it, it, but no, he, he, he might he, be right. I will say Kevin got acquitted, by Kevin the way. Right you know, I mean, Kevin, yeah. Kevin, Kevin didn't do it. Yeah, it's it's as if you know, we live in an interesting culture. I think that would be an understatement. Again, this Sunday we got the Oscars. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel hosts one one story that that uh, broke. I think last night, Lady Gaga, uh, who sang. Um, Hold My Hand, the hit song for Maverick, Top Gun, which is nominated for Best Song. She's actually she's going to be at the Oscars, uh, but she's not going to sing, saying that her filming of Joker 2 has uh, taken up a lot of her time, and she's not prepared to do a live, uh, on-set Oscar rendition of this song. Sort of a bummer, Ken. I don't know. What do you think? Her plastic surgery probably hasn't settled yet. I'm a fan. I, I got to tell you, I initially in the career, I was like, ah, yeah, but I got to tell you, I, she's a good, she is a really very interesting, appealing actress. I think on the, on the, on the screen, the screen likes her very much. I, I was looking forward to that, but uh, I guess it, it is what it is. I, I think the ratings this uh, Sunday night are going to be higher, certainly in the last couple years. It'll be interesting to see what kind of monologue Jimmy Kimmel has if he plays it safe, if he goes a little bit on the edge. I mean, obviously, or it used to be where the Oscar telecast always was uh, the, 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 the most important thing was the opening dialogue, the first 20 minutes of the program, setting the tone, moving it forward. Uh, I think if there's one dark horse uh, subject or thing that can happen, uh, that would, would be a very interesting positive, in my opinion, if somehow that Maverick Top Gun uh, as a dark horse, ultimately, uh, surprisingly, would win the the Oscar for best picture. I mean, it it it's a very solid film. Uh, it it in a lot of ways saved the industry post COVID. I think it would be a nice gesture, and I think for the industry, I think that would be a pretty cool thing. Do, do I think it'll happen? Probably not. Could it happen? There's a puncher's chance. Don't I would not be shocked if it did. So I I, I would be I would be shocked and Holly woke if it if it did. But that's just me. And I, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see whether the Oscars can beat Week Four of the XFL and the. Uh, oh, well, the you know, I think it'll do that. And the and the selection shows for the NCAA March Madness, which is bigger than the Oscars these days. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. Now, before we move on to our main topic, which is our top ten favorite sequels that are at least part three in a franchise, uh, just one other uh, bit of, uh, let's play, this week in TV history, March 10th, 1978 on CBS, The Incredible Hulk TV show premieres starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, goes on to be a very popular show for at least a few years. I was a big fan. I remember Friday nights, Ken, 8 o'clock, The Hulk, uh, 9 o'clock, Dukes of Hazard, 10 o'clock, Dallas. Boy, those were the days. I, I, I tell you why I like The Incredible Hulk, and even the repeats, I think, hold up. Well, one, because they did a smart move, didn't have the massive budget, that's why they painted Lou Ferrigno green. No CGI back in 1978. But they basically copied the formula of The Fugitive. We had David Banner, played by Bill Bixby, bouncing from one town to the next. They always change the setting, they always change the, uh, the, the, the plot week to week. Uh, Bill Bixby, I think, was iconic uh, of a likable screen personality, and Lou Ferrigno muscled up, uh, painted green. I thought this was a really fun show. I, I, it was good. I, I was, you know, in, in that genre at that time, I was a much bigger fan of uh, Beauty and the Beast, but I think that had to do with Linda Hamilton more than anything. Uh, I remember that show. Uh, I remember that show uh, also. Any thoughts on your mind before we bounce into our main topic here? Uh, no, I, it's too early in the morning for when we tape these things for me to have thoughts. Okay, very good. Uh, it is early in the morning, but uh, mentally I am stimulated to move forward our topic of the week our top 10 sequels that are not a first sequel meaning they have to be third fourth fifth so on and so forth uh i'll let you start this weekend 10 through six okay my number okay my number 10 and it was uh it was it's not because it was a great movie but whenever i invest in a uh in a series a trilogy i read the trilogy um Shalene Woodley was going to become the next Jennifer Lawrence. It was going to be automatic because she was going to star in this series that was reminiscent of uh, of Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, but uh, this wasn't quite quite Hunger Games. Of course, it's the it's the Divergent series. The third one in the uh, series was uh, Allegiant in 2016. Um, it was painful at times because. That the author who came up with the trilogy uh, didn't quite have a trilogy worth of material. But since I watched the other two, I had to watch Divergent uh, or Allegiant in 2016. Number nine, the perfect example of a franchise that jumps the, the, the shark. And it would jump the shark after the number... Well, really, this was the last good one. Uh, Steve Gutenberg. Stuck around for number four, but then left. Bubba Smith stuck around even longer. Uh, Police Academy, which was Police Academy 1 and 2, and even 3, back in training in uh, 1986, were, were really good, funny movies. Movies you can watch with the family. Of course, in the, back in training, they were training new recruits. In number four, Citizen on Patrol, they were training citizen cops. And uh, you know people like Bobcat. Uh, Bobcat helped uh, uh, to uh, keep the comedy going, but um, it was it was a good series. It was a 
But it, it it's became totally unwatchable after Gutenberg left and the last three episodes were, hey, let's put something together and see if somebody will go watch it. Uh, number eight, you know, the only person in history I know that had an unlisted prison number, and that would be Frank Drebin when he was undercover in, the, in prison, came out of retirement to save the Academy Awards of all things. Oh, I love that segment. Naked Gun, 33 and a third from 1994. Uh, Leslie Nielsen was just, you know, I, I first saw him in a uh, in some horror kind of things, this little half-hour show that was on back in the early 70s. But as a, as a comedic actor, he was just so great. And the one-liners and everything else, great movie. It was a great trilogy. And, uh, you know, Frank Drebin, one of those great characters of the, of the screen. Number seven, just like Humphrey Bogart never says, play it again, Sam, in Casablanca. People think, go ahead, make my day, was from Dirty Harry. And it wasn't. It was from the third installment. This might have even been the fourth. Sudden Impact in 1983. That's where oh, he said... Life. That's where he said, go ahead, make my day. Yes. Along with Sandra Locke, who she and her sister had been raped 10 years ago. She becomes a vigilante. This movie was great because, you know, Callahan, despite his methods, was nothing but a stand-up cop. And, of course, in the end, he covers for her, and off they go. Number six, who can forget? Chekhov asking which way to the nuclear vessel, and who can forget Scotty trying to use a 1980s computer, and that would be Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Great pick. I love that movie. Uh, you know, they had to come back and get a couple whales, and they even tampered with history. But, you know, the, this movie of all the, the, the Bill Shatner movies, this one was the closest to the television show. And it was the most accessible to mainstream non-Star Trek fans. Yeah, uh, it, it had, and, it, and it showed you could change the tone in this franchise and make it work extremely well. Yeah, you know, after we had killed off uh, Spock and then found Spock, right. now all of a sudden we get back to the tongue-in-cheek humor Very of the good. TV series. So those were my first five. Very good. That's good stuff. You know, it, it, just to expand on the Police Academy franchise, I saw most of them in the theater. I, I, that's an interesting franchise because the original, when it came out, was rated R, uh, and it had some real raunchy humor. And then the rest of them, they cut to, P, uh, to PG or PG-13. So they sort of lightened the raunchiness around the edges to try to build, pull in a, a bigger audience. But I enjoyed the heck, even though there were silly movies, I enjoyed the heck out of them, except for the last few, which just, uh, you know, it, the, the, the quality, if you want to call it quality of franchise, really went down the perennial toilet but I, I did enjoy a lot of those police academy movies they've talked about a reboot for the last few years i don't know if it'll really materialize i don't know who you do it with that that's really the problem but a good good list so far my 10 through 6 my number 10 a lot of this stuff ken is like throwing 
red meat to the base or shooting fish in a barrel. But my number 10, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Not that I didn't love... Listen, I love Temple of Doom. It's one of my all-time favorite sequels. But Last Crusade's a terrific movie. They bring in Sean Connery as his father. I remember seeing this in the theater for the first time. I was a little perplexed that Connery wasn't going to play the, 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 the tough Bondish hero. And he's sort of more of a passive character. But he's a ton of fun. They're pairing uh, his pairing with Harrison Ford. Great chemistry. Uh, big hit. Great Indiana Jones movie. So Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade from 1989 is my number 10. Number 9, how about Rocky Three from 1983? This is an example where you could change a formula, make it more of a soap opera, appeal more to a mainstream, even outside the Rocky universe. Bring in Mr. T as Clubber Lang, a great, iconic villain in this franchise. And really elevated the career of Hulk Hogan, who Stallone brings in to play a character called Thunderlips in the first act of this movie. Such a fun sequence where the boxer meets the wrestler. Hulk Hogan was awesome. Uh, it just was just such an entertaining movie. I think I saw this at least four or five times in a theater back in 83. I love me some Rocky Three, so that's my number nine. Number eight is Dirty Harry, Sudden Impact. Yeah, that did uh, the, the reference of go ahead, make my day, a coin phrase that Ronald Reagan used during his administration. I remember seeing this at least four times in the theater. It came out the same weekend, I think, as Scarface did back in the 80s. And the reason I think the, the Dirty Harry movies still work so well, and you could pop them into Blu-ray or stream them, however you want to do it, and watch all five of them and be very entertained is because Harry Callahan, played by Clint Eastwood, was just simply good Company Could they make this franchise now in 2023? Uh, with Woke, I say they couldn't. Uh, this, a lot of this stuff uh, would be shunned by some people. Oh, you know, way too against the green, so on and so forth. But um, I love me this movie. I, I love Sudden Impact in 1983, so it's my number eight. Number seven, I went with Lethal Weapon 4. Uh, all the band is back. Uh, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Rene Russo. Uh, Joe Pesci, they bring in Chris Rock. I think this movie is a blast. I love the last five minutes when they sort of closed uh, everything in a, in a knot from the entire franchise. The fight between Mel, with Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and Jet Li, who's a villain, uh, under what's awesome stuff. I, Lethal Weapon 4 is a really good movie. So that's my number seven. And number six, I went with Jurassic World, which is the fourth entry in the Jurassic franchise. Chris Pratt in uh, Dallas Bryce Howard introduced into the franchise. This comes out in 2015. To me, this is the best sequel of all of them. And the closest thing, or the closest experience I had in the movie theater to Jurassic Park uh, since 1993. I had a great time with this movie, and, and I like it a lot. I think it plays on repeat viewing very, very well. So no, my number six is Jurassic World. That's my uh, 10 through 6, Ken. Yeah, and for mine, I, I, made, I only put on ones where I can honestly say I had seen all all the, the at least the first three movies. So okay. that's why I, I don't have Fifty Shades of Grey you know, the third one on here, uh, because I didn't see all those movies. Um, <laughs> I, I really didn't, no. Back uh, Back to the Future 3 is my number five. Of course, it came I'm out in 19... 19- yeah, to me, I, I was not a big fan of 2. I found 2 a little bit too dark at times with Biff. We'll talk about that more okay. expand as I, as, I, as I pick. But yeah, okay. you can. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I thought Mary Steenburgen was a great, a great uh, love interest 100%. for Christopher Lover. Lloyd. I yep. love the movie. Uh, as you probably know, two and three were actually made pretty close to each other. 
back-to-back, they were yep. filmed back-to-back. That's one of the rare rare instances where a studio made a commitment to do two sequels uh, back-to-back. Two came out in 89, three came out in uh, 1990. And, you know, it's one of those ones you can still watch today, and, uh, you know, it's... Yeah, the only sad thing, is, of course, is you know what's happened to Michael J. Fox since then in his life. But great movie, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, just uh, he's he's been great in everything he did. So my number five was uh, Back to the Future Three from nineteen ninety. Listen, I think uh, as the franchises go in, in trilogies, I think that trilogy is as iconic as the first three Star Wars. I mean, it's a great. Highly enjoyable trilogy. I, I, I screened all three back-to-back for a week at the Pocono Cinema, and I watched one, two, and three in a row. And i got to tell you, it was a great time, uh, a great, great time. If anybody in the listening audience ever has a chance to see all three back-to-back to back in a movie theater and a retro house, do it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, good pick, Ken. My number five... Uh, I went with Escape from the Planet East, which came out in 1973. This is obviously an iconic franchise, and what I love about it is you could take this third entry in the franchise and watch it first before Planet East and Beneath uh, and just look at it from a different point of view in the timeline. Uh, after the second one, which is Beneath, where they blew up Earth, you said, okay, this franchise is done, but they found a way to move it forward with, uh, with, with Cornelius and Zira uh, getting in the, the, the spaceship, even though it was sunk on the how they did that, uh, is anyone's guess. Um, and, and they time-traveled into our modern-day Los Angeles. And I gotta tell you, this movie's an extremely thought-provoking film, mostly character-driven, some good humor. Uh, it's just... Uh, it's just a very entertaining, thought-provoking movie, and I think they did a great job, and I love this entry in that uh, original franchise. So Escape the Planet East, which is number three in the original tr- franchise from 1973, is my uh, number five. My number four reminds me of a f- several Clint Eastwood movies that have been out lately where you know he's the old guy still trying to compete with younger people. Uh, but it's about it's about an old athlete competing with uh, younger athletes. Has to change his way, and he meets his new manager, uh, who is Cruz Ramirez, voiced by Cristela Alonso. Of course, Owen Wilson is playing the title character as Lightning McQueen, and uh, that's Cars Three. And I'll tell you, I've of course my granddaughter, yes, a granddaughter, was born in 2017 when Cars. Three came out. She has probably more Cars paraphernalia than most fans. She was Lightning McQueen when she was two for Halloween. I just love those movies. I love the fact that in Cars Three, Cruz Ramirez had such a big part. To, but un, surprisingly, my granddaughter didn't identify with Cruz. She identified with Lightning, but that's fine. I love the entire Car series. Uh, I think it was. I think it was great. They were great movies. Uh, you know, it was a home run for Pixar, and so my number four there was Cars 3 uh, with Lightning McQueen trying to beat those younger guys. All right, Ken, good pick. My number four, I went back to 84, <laughs> going back to the horror genre, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Uh, part 2 was very polarizing to people. I mean, I liked it. I, the original is iconic uh, from... Uh, 84. Well, actually, no. Uh, Elm Street 3 came a few years later. Uh, uh, the original came out in uh, 
1984. But I love Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, directed by Chuck Russell. Uh, it brings an ensemble cast led by Patricia Arquette, Dream Warriors, where they fight Freddy Krueger in the dream world. It has some great characters in this movie. This was a massive audience pleaser back in the day. It made money. It made what they called coin. It had uh, Robert Englund now being a sarcastic, uh, more funny Freddy. This pleased audiences very much. I think it's a great movie from beginning to end, one of the most satisfying horror sequels of all time. Chuck Russell, uh, who did the remake of The Blob, he did a movie called The Racer with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Very underrated talent. He brought a lot to the table here. Nightmare on Elm Street 5, uh, along with the original, and then uh, Wes Craven's new Nightmares, the best three entries in this long-running franchise. But Elm Street 5 is my uh, number four. I love that film. My number three uh, came out in 1985. This was a year after the 1984 Olympics that the Russians didn't come to. It was while we were still in the Cold War with uh, the aforementioned Ronald Reagan, who you mentioned a little while ago with Go Ahead, Make My Day. It is, of course, a Rocky movie. It's Rocky Four, with Brigitte Nielsen and Ivan Drago. Of course, uh, Dolph Lundgren playing Ivan Drago, Brigitte Nielsen um, playing the Russian love interest. Uh, to me... It was it was the last Rocky movie I watched, and there, of course it was the transition because you know Apollo dies in that movie. But to me, great movie for the time because just like professional wrestling was doing at the time, it mirrored world politics, and of course the American underdog taking on the big meanie yeah. Russian. So that was my number three was Rocky Four. Listen, the, the interesting thing about Rocky Four. Is if you when you watch that movie, uh, the theatrical cut. He did do a director's cut uh, last year. I didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, but the thing about that film is the montage sequences, which really envelop the movie, are so entertaining. Um, it, it almost feels like a tweak of filler, but filler that works extremely well. Uh, it has some big themes in that movie. I mean, obviously about uh, global politics. Uh, that that end is. Uh, you know, when, when they're cheering for Rocky Balboa in, in Russia, is actually quite fascinating. And, and, and moving Dolph Lundgren was a really interesting villain. And it introduced Ken uh, way before its time the, the aspect of performance-enhancing drugs into the world of sports, which obviously a few years later became a dominant issue in the world of Major League uh, Baseball. Uh, it's a very entertaining entry, and, it, and, it, at, and at that time was the best box office grossing Rocky movie of, of all time. Again, Sylvester Stallone kept reinventing the wheel or tweaking the wheel, uh, making that franchise even more and more mainstream accessible. But Rocky Four is a very entertaining uh, movie that uh, is a major part of the Rocky canon. Good pick. My number three, I go horror again. I went with Exorcist Three Legion, which came out. Uh, I think in ni- was 1990, and uh, it starred George C. Scott. You don't see movies like this anymore because George C. Scott was an, was an older actor at the time, but he's awesome in this movie, and it's very character-driven. It was written and directed by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original uh, Exorcist, one of the, I think, the greatest horror movie of all time. Now, Exorcist 2, for me, was a complete misfire and a weird movie, 
Uh, some people like it. A lot of people didn't. It bombed at the box office. It was expected. Well, it didn't bomb, but it didn't do well what they wanted because it was just a perplexing movie. But Exorcist Three is a really good script. It's very character driven. The dialogue in this movie is scary, and there's scenes between George G. Scott. Uh, who plays Kinderman, taking over for the role of the, the, the now uh, past Lee J. Cobb from the original. And a priest in this movie played by Ed Flanders. Now, the dialogue scenes, the scenes between George C. Scott and Ed Flanders, who play best friends who are movie buffs in this movie, when they sit down at a, to eat dinner at a diner and they just speak, the dialogue and their acting and their chemistry together is incredible and for people who've never seen Exorcist 3 watch it uh, it's a really good movie in this franchise and uh, I'm a big fan so Exorcist 3 Legion is my uh, number 3 Ken I thought you said Ned Flanders and I could just imagine uh, Homer Simpson getting repossessed because he, <laughs> didn't, he didn't he didn't pay his bill Exorcist yeah. 4 repossessed yes my okay my number 2 and to me it's the 5th movie in the franchise maybe even more than that um, okay. The first three movies being Shrek 1, 2, and 3. Well, Puss in Boots was introduced in Shrek 2 and was also in Shrek 3. Got, got his own movie in Puss in Boots. Got a sequel in Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which came out last year. We're probably, I think we're set up for Shrek 4 because Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, ends up with them going to, uh, to Faraway Land, which to me says that's set up in another sequel. I just, you know, it's, it's funny. You put Ante, and Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek in a movie, and you don't get to actually see them. You know, that's, uh, both the men and the women are upset by that. Um, Harvey Guillen just played such a great, great little dog, Perdido. Puss in Boots, I told you, I thought Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, was the best written movie in some time. It was, it was funny. It, adults could go to it. And I think it's an indication that the the franchise of uh, Shrek itself may continue on. Oh, it will continue on because this installment uh, has had tremendous legs and very well at the box office. My number two, I'm going to go with Die Hard with a Vengeance. If you take the first three Die Hard Die Hards as a trilogy, it's a pretty awesome trilogy. First movie's iconic. I love part two, and part three is awesome also. I don't like the ending. They had issues with the ending. They bring back John McTiernan, the original director of Die Hard. This guy is an iconic action director, also did Predator, knows what he's doing. Uh, the McLean character fits in very well. Uh, as a partnership here with this character played by Sam Jackson, it takes place in New York City. They open the scope, they broaden the scope from a contained office building or an airport to the entire New York City uh, setting as its background. Uh, Jeremy Irons is a good villain, he plays the brother of Hans uh, Gruber. Uh, they darken up the John McClane character in this movie, played by Bruce Willis. The action set pieces are fantastic. Uh, it's involving. It has humor. Uh, it's so well directed. It's a good story. I like it a lot from 96, so Die Hard with a Vengeance, despite the fact that the ending is botched, uh, and it is really botched for a studio film. I'm a big fan, so that's my number two. My, my number one, and it actually takes a little bit of uh, setting up because it's a, perf it's a perfect example of the experience of seeing a movie in a movie theater rather than seeing it at home because very few people are going to say 
50 years from now, do you remember when we saw such and such on Netflix? So that's the first part. Second part is I, I also read this trilogy because my daughter download, da- downloaded the uh, thing on my Kindle account. So it was on my Kindle. So I read it first time Kindle. I read the two books that came out after it. My daughter had had serious cancer surgery in Boston uh, when the second installment in this trilogy came out. And I went up to take care of her. And we actually went to see this movie in a movie tavern type of uh, restaurant. The first time I had been one of those ones where they you know, serve you food at your seat and all that. And it was hooked up to a Davio Steakhouse. So I was eating lobster roll watching the second installment. But for me, it's Hunger Games. I'm going to go with Mockingjay 1 and 2. It's one book. They put it together to make it, or take it apart to make it two movies. 2014, 2015, to me, I mean, the Hunger Games franchise was a, was a blockbuster at the, uh, at the theaters. Interestingly, Mockingjay 2 did not do as well at the box office as Mockingjay 1. So I guess some people just gave up after the first half of the uh, conclusion. But to me, it finished a, a series I was invested in for five years, read the books, saw the movies, uh, made a star out of uh, Jennifer Lawrence, of course, although she had done a few things before that. Donald Sutherland, never better. And so it's Hunger Games, Mockingjay 1 and 2. Uh, interesting pick. I'm not a huge, I'm not the biggest fan of that franchise, but I did, I did like the franchise, and I like Jennifer Lawrence, so good pick. My number one, I, I did go with Back to the Future 3 from 1990, because I gotta tell you, the first one, obviously, is, is an iconic film. The second one was polarizing when it came out in 89, because people said, some people said, ah, it went a little too dark, and myself included at the time, but over time, that movie has grown on me tremendously, and as part of this trilogy, the fact that it did go darker, I actually really have come to dig very much, but the part three, when I saw that in the theater for the first time, I have to say that that was an example of movie magic really coming back to life. I thought the, the, that that movie was highly enjoyable. The chemistry now set in the West between Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly, and, and uh, Christopher Lloyd's Doc Brown was as good as ever. The the addition of Mary Steenburgen added so much to that movie, a very nice sweetness. And the last 20 minutes are a complete roller coaster ride of movie magic momentum. The movie ends on the highest of highest of highest points. Uh, it's it put, it's a cherry on a Sunday, a, a, a perfect bow of a very iconic experience of the company of two brilliant performers of Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd in these characters. And these movies make you feel good. And this ending of this film makes you feel like a million dollars. They said they'll never do another one in this franchise because uh, Bob Gale, a producer, uh, Zemeckis, a director, Spielberg, is producer, hold the rights. They say they'll never do another one. Um, these movies are extremely repeatable. They work brilliantly back to back to back. And I just love part three because it just uh, it has a magic to it and a cast chemistry and a momentum feeling uh, that works perfectly. So that is my uh Number one, Ken. That, that was that was fun. You know, we've talked on this show about sequels, but I don't think we've done anything like uh, uh, just listing sequels that are not the initial sequel in a franchise. There's more on my list I could have picked, but uh, I, I had fun doing this. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And say, hey, it's been a great show, Chuck. 
and Ken to the audience. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.